the first in a series of podcasts where we discuss topics that connect Glastonbury Abbey with a sense of spirituality. Every year the Abbey welcomes visitors of all faiths and none, but even those of no particular faith sometimes describe a sense of place, a distinct atmosphere of peace after stepping off the busy high street. As you may already know, Glastonbury and the Abbey has no end of mythology and legend attached to it, and this comes from all quarters, including the claims made by medieval monks themselves of the Abbey being the site of the first Christian church in Britain, as well as being the famed burial place of King Arthur and Queen Guinevere. The development of these myths is usually not so instant as the announcement that Arthur's bones had been found. They develop over generations and through repetition as part of what academics call vernacular religion. This vernacular religion is belief in religion as ordinary people are practicing it on an everyday basis, as opposed to prescribed dogma or high religion as it's termed. This is what we're going to talk about today, the alternative myths about the Abbey that have developed through oral histories and in the 21st century have the potential to spread even further with the advent of the internet. This type of legend might range from the fairly frequently mentioned idea about ley lines running through the ruins to the more obscure urban legends about hidden passages or caves. My name's Nick Phillips and today I'm joined by Safi who works at the Abbey and has been part of the Living History team for several years. Hi Safi. Hi. Hi Nick. Now I've asked you here today since your role means you're always out in the grounds talking to the public and hearing their reasons for visiting the Abbey. What's the most common reason you've heard outside of the kind of things that you'd find in the guidebook? Well, people are always approaching me and asking things like, where's the ley line? Where's St Michael's line? Where is the Mary line? Um, And I've even had people produce maps asking me if they're true or is this is this where where they will find the ley line and where they cross um um, it's it's quite difficult because i think it's a very personal thing um Mm -hmm. as to whether you believe in ley lines or not but the amount of people that i do get asking me to to point them in that is a it's a real yeah that and Joseph, of course, but, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, and they also want to know about King Arthur, of course, mm-hmm. as well. But the ley lines, yeah. Do you think that has um, increased over time? Um, the number of people into ley lines, or is it kind of... I think there was a real ley line um, movement, but people trying to connect with them um, in the 70s. Um, yeah. Um, because I know because my family tried to, my mm. parents were drawn to Glastonbury. They connected with the ley lines and as a child I grew up being sort of mm. a bit fascinated by all this talk. But And then I feel like the last few years it has resurged mm. as people are looking for alternative, um, their own spiritual paths. And yeah. ley lines as a way of connecting with nature and the flow and... Of, of the source of the the earth and nature and I feel that this is a connection for them that they want to root into but also these historic sites of ancient sites across the world are all linked mapped by ley lines <laughs> and and so we you know people are naturally coming to Glastonbury which I've always been heard of is the heart 
chakra. Um, people say it to me and my family used to say it to me. So the Yabi is at the heart of it. And mm. by having the lines crossing, it's a, you know, yeah, it's an important, powerful place. Um, um, spiritually, of course, with all the the traditions and the Christian values and and its history, but also there's something that people can't see that they can't put their finger mm. on, but connects them to this place. Yeah, the idea of ley lines entered the public imagination in the 1920s, I believe, with the book The Old Straight Track by Alfred Watkins. Um, He identified straight lines connecting places of significance in the British countryside and interpreted these as ancient trackways and trade routes. And then you had later authors of the 60s and 70s developing this idea and mixing it with the Chinese principle of dragon paths in a landscape, um, which are the winding invisible currents of energy. Then in the 1980s you had Hamish Miller and Paul Broadhurst, who tracked these interweaving lines right the way across the south of England from Cornwall to the east coast, which they dubbed the St. Michael and Mary lines. And these passed through a number of sites associated with the Archangel or the Virgin, including Glastonbury Abbey with its Lady Chapel and the Tor with its St. Michael's Tower. Uh, Their book, The Sun and the Serpent, proved very popular with lay hunters and I think its influence on these people who are coming to the Abbey in search of these currents can't be underestimated. Yeah, very much. Um, Safi, do you often get people asking about the energy of particular spots and do these correspond to points that are significant to the Christian history and the layout of the church? Um, I've, it's happened several times to, to me now that people have come up to me um, I, I always make a point of crossing on my tours that I do around the church. I take them through the Galilee. And several times I've had people say to me, oh my gosh, that, that spot is very special, unique. There. They mm. come across with feelings that they hadn't felt before. And, um, and I myself feel very connected with that little spot. And it is the point, I believe, where the Mary line goes through yeah. oh, well it would do wouldn't it the underneath um it is the the place for the line to go up and then of course it goes up to the high altar where believed to cross um but people yeah the galilee is just a special place i feel to people and, and maybe that's a, a point that could be connected because of well the lady chapel is built there because it's the site of where the old church was um so normally in traditional buildings of of abbeys um the lady chapel would be in the reverse position rather than in the west it would be up in the east uh, above the high altar um but they deliberately built the lady chapel in that position and that's of real importance because of its connection to the old church so that space is is so sacred to people and it's the holiest of place, but it also it's the place that pilgrims would go for healing. You know, in, in medieval yeah. times, they would all want to go to St. Joseph's Chapel because they believed they would, that they could be healed. You know, they'd leave behind their, their little votives of models of body parts they needed healing. They believed they were healed. They'd leave behind their sticks, their crutches. So, so this, that, this is just above, yeah, that, that, it, it, where these people keep telling me they've had experiences mm-hmm. is literally just above that, yeah. 
uh, above it, you know. A so, lasting kind of impression yeah, of that. Yeah, an echo of, of sense yeah. of... Yeah, and also the sun seems to shine right at it. You know, <laughs> it's like a real sun spot where people are <laughs> always sat. And maybe, yeah, I don't know, but it... Yeah, that is a, a very special place to people. Um, another spot that seems to come up as popular with, with visitors is the Eggstone, which is curious because unlike the other popular spots, it's aside from the church, outside the behind the abbot's kitchen, and it doesn't feature significantly in the history or the recorded myths about the abbey. And why do you think people are attracted to it? Well, it's it it is beautiful. It's a, a huge, um, like a big egg. <laughs> I mean. Um, and people are always, that's sometimes their first port of call to come up to me and ask me where the egg stone is, where's the cosmic stone. Um, and of course, an egg is a symbol of fertility. Um, often I can almost say once a day, I will see somebody, usually a lady, will be meditating, sat upon it. Um, as a child, I always related to it. My family would come to the, to the abbey and we play a game of find the egg stone because um, my parents were convinced it moved. Whether that's true, I think maybe it was just to keep us busy for half an hour, me and my brother. But I always believed it was a dragon stone and that, you know, <laughs> it was the egg of a dragon. And I, I still tell children if I'm doing a tour with the school children, I might say to them, there's the, there's the dragon egg <laughs> because there was a dragon on top of the tour. So who used to fly oh, to West Pennard? So, <laughs> but it, it is a symbol of of fertility and you know the egg is that ultimate symbol the beginning of life and and so it it, it may be a, a point of a real focus for some mm. people and the, the feminine the, energy you know the, um, the local goddess community i mean yeah. that interest for that reason yeah and it's always i can guarantee you it's always covered in and people daily will put flowers and petals i found grains on it um, also there's always, often when it's rained there's a puddle of water and it always looks red and people say that's because it is the egg stone and mm. that, that it will but of course it's, it's just a giant pebble isn't it really <laughs> it's a big like you say a big a big stone and tall bird, tall bird, tall bird stone bird. yeah um, but that I've always um, thought the history of it was that it was found of course by Blythe Bond in the Lady Chapel right but um you probably know more than, than I do about it, but yeah, it's a very, it's a real pull. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's curious because it's, yeah. it's not only um, Goddess worshippers who um, are interested, but very recently also Muslims. Um, several other staff members have told me about visiting groups of Muslims who had come to see the footprint of Jesus. Um, and I was told that at first the staff were perplexed as this wasn't something they'd heard anyone say was at the Abbey before. Um, one Muslim visitor told them that the egg stone carries the impression of Jesus' foot as he ascended into heaven. Now how this particular legend arose, I'm still not sure. I was told that someone in the Sufi community experienced a vision here of uh, a ladder extending to heaven when he touched the stone. Wow. Um, perhaps maybe it ties in with the um, Glastonbury's link to the poem Jerusalem. Did yeah. those feet in ancient times? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, one thing for sure is with the internet, it's very easy for um, newly founded myths or ones that have never been written down before to take off and take 
on a new life of their own, um, the more times they get repeated across various websites, the more authority they appear to have. Uh, sometimes information across sites becomes confused with others. Um, like one, there was one foreign visitor stopped me to ask where the cave of Mary Magdalene's tomb was. Um, now, to our knowledge, that wasn't. There's was never a tradition about this being at Glastonbury. No, I've and, never heard that one. Um, yeah. I would think maybe he was um, confusing it with the cave shrine in the south of France yes. for Mary Magdalene. Yeah. I mean, uh, there is also, isn't there? A, the to- there was a cave as well in in Cornwall, I believe. Right at the lands end, um, right at the yeah. There is a cave there that people believe that Jesus mm. went to with Joseph. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it all kind of gets a little bit merges, confused. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that she's not really in the medieval myths, um, she does seem to have Mary Magdalene. She has a, an interest for many of the visitors, doesn't she? Yeah. yeah. Um, some even claim that the Jesu Maria stone on the Lady Chapel refers to Magdalene rather than the Virgin. Although other medieval examples, it's obvious that it's Jesus and, and Mary the Mary Virgin. Then, yeah. I always sort of um, had took that the impression of that stone was that I'd always been told stories that Jesus had had come as a boy uh, with his uncle and that he'd then dedicated obviously the church the Lady Chapel to his mother and that as he arrived he he wrote his name mm. and his mother's name in the mud and that this stone this pilgrim stone represented mm. that but yeah um, then of course we've got. Um, those you could categorise more as urban legends like secret passages running from the Abbey to the Tor or from the Abbey to the Georgian Pilgrim Inn, which many locals will swear to be true and swear that they've even seen themselves. Um, what are some of the more out there urban legends that you've heard? Well, that one I have heard. <laughs> I used to be, funnily enough, in a younger existence of myself used to be one of the barmaids at the Georgian Pilgrims (laughs) so I'd often have to go down to the cellar to change the barrels and there was a a sort of passageway that was blocked in Do you think that's where that came from? Yeah, possibly and also people I myself obviously you know, believed that the Benedictian monks here were devout and obeyed their laws of chastity but always people try and sway me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that there was a secret passageway that the monks would go down to meet people. But yes, you know, um, that, that it has been a big yarn that is passed on and yeah. still seem, seems to happen over a pint of beer over there. But yeah, I mean, and it's an old place, isn't it? And it's, of, you know, it's this 15th century, it's time is the same, you know, of yes, it was yeah. existence, it's where it pilgrims was, would stay, yeah. you know, so it's possible. <laughs> Any others? Um, oh, I can't think of other stories of other like kind of unusual things that people have come up and asked you or, or told you. Um, oh, the abbot's kitchen. That people sometimes will come up to me and say to me, "It's not a kitchen," even though I've given them the historical <laughs> knowledge of its early, you know, of when it was built and why it was built. They're convinced it's um, a sound, a chanting chamber. Mm. And I mean... You, and that comes from the acoustics, acoustics that you Acoustics, the shape of it. It is like a temple when you go in there. It's a beautiful dome and, and, and it does have these amazing acoustics. 
It feeds um, the imagination. It does feed the imagination, yeah. and people swear and buy it that it is a singing cha- chamber, and they like him. Yeah, they sing in it. <laughs> they try to anyway. I think we can conclude that the, the Abbey just is this place where just layers and layers of interpretation yeah. can just coexist all at the same time. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Well, that's about all we've got time for today. Um, thanks, Safi, for coming in for a chat. And thanks all for listening. I hope you come back to listen to the rest of the series. Thank you. Bye. This has been a Glastonbury Abbey podcast. Glastonbury Abbey is an independent charity. You can support us by visiting, becoming a member, or donating via our website, glastonburyabbey.com.